Please prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, with thanksgiving, I'll be a I'm Grace Bella Harmon, board-certified dance movement therapist and embodied grief guide. Body Grieves, Spirit Calls is an open exploration of the connection between grief, embodiment, and spirituality. I believe the grieving is an inherently sacred process that deserves and requires its own attention and energy to fully integrate. Through personal stories, reflections, and interviews, I seek to highlight the ways in which grief can bring us home to our bodies and to a deeper connection with the spirit that holds us all. Hello and welcome back. So happy to have you here and really honored to share this conversation I had with Lisa Sugarman. Lisa is a writer who has been writing books on parenting for many years and has recently shifted her focus um, and her attention to suicide awareness and prevention as a result of her own experience with living with suicide loss um, and grieving the loss of her father. So Lisa and I get into her story. We get into the two deaths of her father. Um, The first from a different cause and the second once she realized that suicide was the real cause of his death. We talk about the cyclical and ever unfolding process of living with grief, how it changes throughout the lifespan, how attachment and developmental stages influence the grieving experience. Lisa shares about how for her fluidity and following her grief is what has led her to feel more grounded and more present in her life and in her body, which is something that I deeply resonate with and I imagine you might as well if you're tuning in here. She shares about the difference between her grieving process the first time around and the second time around when she realized that Um, The loss was a a result of suicide. And she reminds us how important it is to care for each other, to check in with our people, and to check in with the people around us. The vital nature of community care, both for grief and loss, but also just for living and being a person in this world. This is a really deep and rich um, and nourishing conversation, and it's something that I'm really um, eager to share with you because we haven't touched suicide yet in this podcast. Um, And it's a really important topic that, like so many aspects of grief, is often Um, ignored and pushed to the shadows, even though it's so common. So I'm looking forward to diving in and let's listen to my conversation with Lisa Sugarman.
Okay, hello, Lisa. Welcome to Body Grief Spirit Calls. So Hi, Grace. I'm so happy to be here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to diving into your story and your wisdom. Um, and I would just love to start with the question, how is your grief living in your body in this moment? You know, in, in this moment, I'm kind of toggling back and forth between the 10-year-old me and the 54-year-old me, if that makes any sense at all. Sure. Um, you know, I just I just recently, within the last, I would say, month or so, went back to therapy, which is something I had not done since I was in my very early 20s and didn't know you know, what I wanted to do with my life career-wise. And, um, you know, all my friends were in college and I wasn't sure what my direction was. So that was kind of the purpose then. And the purpose now is really just to continue to unpack everything that uh, that I've learned in the past nine or so years since, since learning about my dad's suicide. So um, we're spending kind of a lot of time with that 10-year-old kid and, and you know, with the, the grown-up version and is an interesting place to be. Um, I have an incredible amount of compassion for my 10 year old self at this point. So I guess um, that's probably what I'm feeling the most right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah, welcoming her in, honoring mm -hmm. you. Yeah. So much of what I see in my work is that grief work is really inner child work, right? Like mm -hmm. There's so much that we, that we carry, you know, that's the parts of us that feel lost or unsafe or vulnerable. Um, and that's really what needs to kind of get attended to for the grief mm -hmm. to move. Um, so yeah, I'd love to just kind of open up the conversation from that place, if, if that feels okay to you, of what are you learning from your from your 10 year old self and what, what grief, what grief wants to be shared today? You know, I, I'm, I'm learning different things and it's all pretty enlightening at this point. It's, it's, um, it's, it's very powerful. It's very emotional. It's all the things, you know, it's, it's all of it kind of wrapped up together. And I, I guess the thing that I'm really understanding more than I ever have, I mean, I've been on this, path for a very long time so I'm you know in my mid-50s almost and I lost my dad the first time around when I was 10 and then I lost him the second time around in a way and we can talk about that just so that your your listeners will know what I mean when I say that yeah um I think I've really just come to really understand the fluidity of grief mm -hmm. and that ebb and that flow and and I, you know, I, I, I don't know at this point, I'm, I'm a lot more grounded in it than I think I've ever been before because I'm kind of letting it take me wherever mm. I need to be at the moment with it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm also, so I'm a writer by trade. Um, I I've been writing parenting books for like the last decade and, and I'm kind of shifting very very intentionally shifting my work over to suicide awareness and prevention and mental health. And as a result, I'm, I'm choosing to tell my story, my dad's story. And so that's um, digging at everything in me and, and moving the grief around in me in very, very uh, specific and sometimes dark and sometimes joyful and sometimes heavy ways um, because it's, I'm looking at it from a different perspective from, um, just, a, a, a much more compassionate. Now I'm not using the word compassionate for myself. I'm using it for my dad, mm -hmm. kind of trying to understand where he was because we don't really know what precipitated it. We have some ideas and we have, you know, we, we're pretty sure that the hunches that we have are pretty accurate, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, without like all of the the information from him about what he was going through and what he was feeling and um you know those definitive answers that why is just kind of always there and I'm learning to live with that too in a very different way because it's just 
it's been with me not since the beginning not for the first 35 years of grieving so it's a weird I'm in a weird place as I guess what this all boils down to because of my story mm. and so that compassionate piece has really played heavily into the last nine or so years of my life since since learning about his suicide so mm. that that's that's kind of where I'm at at this moment mm-hmm You said something really important that I want to pull out, which is that I feel more grounded now that I'm letting my grief take me, Mm. Mm -hmm. which is really the opposite of how we're often um, told or taught grief is, which is Mm. like linear, I control. Yeah. Linear for sure. And that if I just control it, then I'll be safe. Mm. (laughs) If I like, structure and hold tight to it and try to make it as small as possible then I'll be grounded then I'll be safe and really as you're saying it's quite the opposite it is and and look you know I mean I really do believe that in a lot of ways some people need to follow that linear path I guess but um I've learned more and more that at this point it's just um for me it's not the right path for the, for me it's it's really about being in touch with whatever is right here and right now um and kind of the the power of those emotions and those feelings um are are enough to to sway me one way or another and i and i feel the need to just go in whatever direction yeah that's swaying me if that makes if that makes sense yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's for me, it comes down to like, what is, what is the body saying, you know, mm, and yeah. that is always going to be a cir- circular cyclical experience rather than a linear one. Yeah. Yeah. I was just reading a book. Um, I just finished a book by um, Marissa Renee Lee. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's very new. Mm-hmm. It's called grief is love. And it's just all about her journey living with loss. And she's not a clinician. And I can I can very much relate to everything that she has has done in her writing because it's all anecdotal. It's all that that personal life experience. And I'm not a clinician either, but I've been writing about parenting for, you know, probably close to a dozen years at least. And again, it's from my own experience as a mom and a teacher and a coach. And so I, I could really connect with what she was saying in her book. And, and it goes back to what you and I were just talking about. It, it's not those, you know, those five stages of grief in numerical Mm-mm. order. Mm-mm. It's, it's, um, it's very much a kind of hopping back and forth and um, kind of being in those, those present moments as they come. So, yeah, so it's, it's, it, it kind of contradicts every, everything that we've been told up to now about that um you know those traditional stages and how we move through them because we're always bouncing back and forth totally mm-hmm. yeah and the stages were never written for grieving people actually mm-hmm. they're written no. for dying people right exactly um, exactly which so few people actually know right yeah and i wish more people would know that mm-hmm. <laughs> it makes sense if you think about a dying person coming to acceptance right it's like yeah really no other choice mm-hmm. as living people we get to circulate and move through all of those and many more you know yeah 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 so what would you like to share about this first loss and second loss of your dad um, um you know I mean I can just probably explain for just the sake of context so yeah. anyone listening really understands what I'm saying so when I was 10 years old Um, So I'm an only child. And when I was 10 years old, my father died of what I was told was a heart attack. So I was, I was not home at the time. It was summertime. I was at day camp. Um, I left in the morning and my dad, my dad worked in, so I live North of Boston Mm. and a little town, um, a little North of the city. And my dad worked in the city, but on that particular morning, he was actually staying home, which was very unusual. 
uh, for him, but he was staying home to do some work out of the house. And then he was supposed to meet my mother who worked maybe a two tenths of a mile up the street at a nursing home. And my mother walked me to the bus stop and he, he had gone downstairs in our house to watch a late inning baseball game the night before and told my mother he would stay downstairs because he didn't want to wake her up. He knew she was getting up early and he was staying home. So he was downstairs. The two of us were upstairs and uh, my mother encouraged me to not wake him up because she thought he was up late watching a game. So I kind of creeped down the stairs and saw his little silhouette in the bed, but didn't, didn't wake him up. And she took me to the bus stop, put me on the bus. And by the time I came home that afternoon, he, he was gone. Um, family had already come to the house. My mother greeted me at the bus and kind of walked me away from our house instead of into the house. She walked me to a family member's car and sat with me and, yeah. and, um, told me that my father had died of a heart attack and that's that is that narrative that I had there was no reason in the world for me to ever question that it wasn't like my father was depressed at least in terms of anything I knew or my mother knew that was not his that was not his um, presence in the world he was very charming and lovely and and outgoing and tons of charisma and just the guy that everybody wanted to be with Mm-hmm. And just a just a good man, loved his family, loved loved me. Um, super hard worker, all probably too hard, which is a big reason why I think ultimately um, he was so overcome. Yeah. So that's what I lived with was this idea that my dad. The story was that my dad had a heart attack. He was a very heavy smoker, in spite of being a big outdoorsman, because thirty years ago, who knew? Mm-hmm. And so. That was how I spent the next 35 years thinking that, you know, he had just been taken too soon and, and it was tragic. And, um, it wasn't until I was in my mid forties that my husband and I bumped into a family member, um, just a random conversation talking about my kids and her kids. And, um, she asked me a very strange question about my children and, and who were like in, in high school at the time what was that was their mental health okay because of what my father suffered with and I had no idea what she was talking about Mm. and it just kind of opened this door into thinking different things about him possibly being depressed or have struggling in some way but never never any thoughts of suicide came to me Mm -hmm. and then I had a conversation with my mom it wasn't even the kind of conversation with my cousin that made me run to a phone and grab, you know, grab it, call my mother. It didn't come out until much later. We were just sitting and talking and having lunch and something came over me and I couldn't tell you what it was. I really have no idea to this day what compelled me to ask her if he was depressed. And when she said yes, that before I even knew what I was saying, I asked if he had taken his life. I didn't even, I had never even contemplated the question. I didn't know it was there. And something just made me ask and I did. And she said, yes. And in, in that moment, we kind of rewrote history. It was like, it was like, I don't mean to laugh, but it was like, it was such a bizarre moment that it was like when we used to record uh, tapes, Mm -hmm. we'd make, you know, like a Mm mixtape or you'd watch it or you'd record a video. And then you could accidentally overwrite your video with something else, like, you know, on top of it, that's what happened. And the story completely changed in that one afternoon. And um, yeah, so after having grieved him that very first time and and all the years since then, now it was a completely different situation where, um, you know, his mental health was now in question. And I found out that he had actually, in fact, been seeing uh, a therapist really just only the last month, not even before his death. So either it was the, what was the right one, or maybe it was too little too late, or mm. he he just made the decision to do what he needed to do for himself. And, and that's when it happened. So um, there was a completely different type of grieving that happened the second time around. And I'm still very much in that mm-hmm. trying to, trying to navigate that 
and understand it better, which is part of the reason why I wanted to to take it to a, a therapist to talk, really just to talk through in ways that, you know, obviously I talk about it with my mom and I talk about it with my husband and my girls, but um, to talk about it with someone who has a completely different perspective and who's completely detached from, mm-hmm. you know, from my story. And it's been super beneficial to me in terms of just understanding why I operate the way that I do in the world and why I'm wired because I've always known that I was wired. Um, my, my own personal wiring is very thin. Like the coating on my wiring is very thin. So I always, I feel the vibrations of everyone and everything. And that, you know, I'm like that, that textbook definition of the highly sensitive empathic person. Mm-hmm. And I'm starting to really understand why that is and um, attachment issues and things like that um, come from a place. They all, you know, who we are and how we move through the world and how we engage with the world that comes from a place. And and I'm just now, you know, in my mid fifties, figuring out, you know, what exactly that place is that they come from. So it's been, it's been a very unique process for Mm -hmm. me. Mm. Just letting that absorb. Yeah. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for holding space for it. Could you share a little bit more about how these two sort of waves or patterns of grief, how they are different in your body? these two kind of like phases of it. I mean, I, I think a lot of that has to do with the, why they're so different. I think in so many ways has to do with the fact that I was so young yeah, in the beginning and it was so jarring and raw and, and, and there are jarring and raw aspects to it in both ways. They're just it's a different kind of jarring and a different kind of raw, but I, I think I was just so young and so unprepared and, and didn't have the coping skills. Not, not that having a good strong set of coping skills can remove you from the journey of grief because it doesn't, it just, it just allows you to move through it in a different, um, maybe um, better equipped way, I suppose, but mm-hmm. I think I was just, most of it was rooted in just shock and disbelief at that time. That's how the grief felt. It just felt so never ending, so impossible. I guess it would, you know, and I've never thought of it this way, but the the analogy just kind of popped into my mind. It's, it's like that, that convict who gets sentenced to you're in prison your life in prison and day one and 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 that that sentence is just in front of you and you know that that that's your journey and that's what you have to expect and I I guess it was that kind of lifelong sentence Mm. Um, you know someone gets sick and there's the prospect that they'll recover um someone goes away and there's the hope that they'll come back yeah. but this is such there's you know this is such a a final and um uncompromising situation it just it is what it is mm-hmm. um so i think i was just kind of looking out at the vastness of it when i was 10 years old and that's what i feel looking back on it now i think that's just where what most of my thoughts and and heart were overwhelmed by, Mm -hmm. you know, and now it's different. Now the, now it's turned to real sadness. I mean, when I, when I found out that my dad had actually taken his life, my immediate reaction, and this is only because of my own personal belief around suicide at the time Mm -hmm. about 10 years ago, it was very selfish. I was bullshit. I was so angry, not at my dad for leaving me, but I was so angry at him for leaving my mom Mm -hmm. in this situation like she was in with a 10 year old child 
And my mom worked part-time, had not gone to college when she was young, chose instead to work and help support her family. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me, it was, I was just so angry at that. And, and it was only when I really started truly understanding that mental illness is an illness. We can take off, we can kind of lop off the word mental. It is an illness like any other illness that we might be afflicted with. And I think once, once I did that anyway, my eyes were, were very open to the fact that it was really beyond my dad's control. You know, we say, oh, the person committed the act. I hate the word committed now because it's, I, I, I find I'm so, um, that's why I, I don't associate it with, you know, with the word suicide anymore because it's, um, and there's a lot of thinking about that right now that it's, it's just, um, it, it brands it in a very unhealthy way. Yeah. Um, and, and I see that and I, I just, I have such empathy for my dad now mm. and I it's I've come completely full circle not only I mean there's there's absolutely not a shred of anger anymore there is only just um love for him and just this sadness obviously for the loss itself and that he's not he's not physically here but you know that that he suffered that he suffered emotionally and that he was living at a time when People didn't disclose. People didn't yeah. reach out for help. I, I'm surprised he even went to see a therapist mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the grief is a funny thing. It it just morphs and keeps morphing. It's like, you know, it's almost like a piece of clay. And you just, you know, you just keep, you just keep turning it around in your hands and it, it becomes something else every time. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting because like, when you talk about the earlier grief, the initial shock of it, and I'm thinking about it's for someone who's locked up in jail, it's like, it's final, but it's also quite narrow, right? Mm. It's like, I got an image of a tunnel Right. Mm-hmm. Just like I'm here in these four walls, basically, you know. And yet there's for you, it sounds like there is also a sense of expansion or like an ability to feel all of it. Mm-hmm. Really. I, f- I felt too much of it at uh, the time. I definitely felt it. It was, it was so overpowering. It was so heavy. So, um, just overwhelming in general. Um, because my, my dad was my person in the world. I, mm-hmm. he was, you know, the one that I, I spent my free time with whenever I had the chance. And, um, I, he, he gave me this incredible, love of movement and of nature and of the combination of the two. And, um, we, we spent a lot of time in nature together and, Mm. um, peak bagging and mountain climbing and high hutting and, um, walking on trails and, and, you know, to, to think at that time, all I could think about at that time was how can I possibly do any of these things? that I did with him that are just so meaningful and they've defined who I am and who he was. How can I possibly do that on my own? It wasn't a a case of, well, I'm, I'm not ready to do them. It was, how can I even possibly do them? You know, and, and that's where you feel so tiny Mm. in comparison to this big life ahead of you. When you're a little kid, everything is so, you know, so big around you in general, Mm. but loss is just the idea of loss when you're a little kid is just it's very distorted yes you know and it's um it's it's very surreal and it's hard it's impossible to wrap your mind around you know the kind of the finality of it all so um 
I just spent a lot of time, I remember, just trying to find my way back to things that made me feel closer to him. But of course you get there and then those things are the same exact things that, you know, that make your heart hurt the most. So it's, um, you know, it's a strange place to be. Mm-hmm. And you spend, and we spend time there, you know, in that strange place forever in some way or, or another. I mean, it's not, you know, I mean, we have all these strategies and maybe, you know, and, and time definitely has this incredible way of buffering us somehow, bubble wrapping us, whatever, you know, whatever image makes it easier to understand, but, and, and it does, but it's still there. Yeah. It's all, it's always um, still there and, and it can, and it can surface and, and kind of, it's kind of like the sponge, you know, the sponge that dries out and shrivels. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as it gets filled with water and in in our case, you know, it's not water, it's, it's experiences or people or places, or it, it just expands it all over again. Yes. So. Yeah. I was just like re-listening to an episode, um, an interview that I did that'll you know be out before this one is, but we were talking about, we were sort of laughing together about like how, like if you, if you've been grieving for a while, it's sort of easy to think like, I don't know if this is here for me today. Like maybe I don't need to grieve. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden, right. It's just, it's here, right. It's mm-hmm. always here. It's always below the surface. It's never mm-hmm. not sad. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not because, you know, you're at these points in your life where like in my case, I'm a mom, I've got two grown daughters now. So when yeah. my oldest turned 10 and was the same age that I was when I lost my dad, like that was a moment for me. I took a hard, hard pause during that period of time. Or when, when I turned 45 or my husband turned 45, that's how old my dad was when he passed away. So it's like these, yeah. these markers or when, you know, you're celebrating the graduations or the birthdays or the milestones and, um, you know, all of that just brings it right back up to the top. Yes. Um, and we have to let it, we really have to let it. I mean, it's, you don't need permission. Mm. We, we don't need permission to grieve in whatever way we as individual human beings need to grieve. And that's the thing that I think people, people think it's very, it's very, um, it has to be very one and done or very cut and dry. That's not the case. It's, mm-hmm. um, you know, I mean, there is such a thing as, you know, long-term grief and people, you know, I think there are a lot of people out there who can't get past their grief, who then feel shame for mm-hmm. feeling like they're putting their grief on someone else and, and that it's not allowed or it's, it's not acceptable. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, what I would say to those people are, is just to let that go, cut that loose. Don't buy into that yeah. thinking because it's not true. It's yeah. absolutely not. It's not true. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, even the idea that we should get past it, I think it's like so much of what I try to do in my work is just like remove that narrative like that's not even the goal that's not Mm. even something that we should be invested in it's just about like expanding our nervous system right our Mm. capacity to be with what is Mm -hmm. Um, it's it's a lot like a yoga practice in that way i feel like you know they you they attach the word practice because it's the idea is that you'll you'll do this indefinitely And you'll get something new every time and experience it every differently every time. And sometimes it'll be exactly what you need. And sometimes it'll, you know, it'll be a slog and, and all those things. So in the same way, grief is it's no different. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yes, I definitely relate to that. Absolutely. Mm. And I invite anyone who's listening to just notice what happens in your body when you think about it as a practice instead of as a 
of one and done. Um, mm. One thing I often invite my clients to do is to create like a grief alter, a grief practice, and they come back to it, you know, multiple times a week. Mm. And it just sets up the body and sets up the grief to know that there is a place for me to be with what it is. Yeah. And that's so powerful. It's so powerful just to know that you have that outlet in your back pocket, that that's just something it's a, it's a, it's a safe space that you're allowed to go and, and, um, kind of divest yourself, not, not even, well, it's like bleeding a radiator, mm-hmm. you know, in, in that way, um, you're, you're just allowing what's in there to, to come out and, you're allowing it to, to, you know, to kind of find an exit. Mm. So it's not, it's not weighing you down Yeah. because ultimately if we don't let these emotions, and, and this goes far beyond grief, this is just emotions in general. If we just, you know, the longer we keep them in, um, the closer we get to having them find their own way out and it's not always a pretty way out totally without Mm -hmm. our consent often yeah 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 so how does spirit or spirituality come into your process or how has it in the past um i've always been way more of a spiritual person than i have been a religious person. Um, you know, we, we practice Judaism, we're reformed as a family. So, um, it, 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 that it's more of a contemporary integration into our day-to-day life. And, Mm -hmm. and yet I find myself leaning more toward my spiritual side almost entirely. Mm -hmm. Um, and and try very hard to intentionally connect with that every day. Um, I absolutely, because of that, believe that my dad's always around me. I, I believe, um, I, I believe that his his presence is is everywhere that it wants to be, and everywhere that I need him to be mm-hmm. at the same time. And so I'm I'm always trying to stay very conscious of that and connect with that and be aware. I keep my eyes open for that. Um, you know, I meditate every day. It's a part of my own daily practice. Mm-hmm. And um, I would say most days I, I feel him there. Um, you know, I journal, I have a journaling practice every day as well. And, and we've done some really unique communicating together back and forth through that. So, um, you know, and I, and I think going back to the whole idea of grief being something that, that is kind of in a sidecar with us throughout our life, mm-hmm. it, you know, you hear the word grief and it automatically conjures up this negative, sad, depressing, I guess, state of mind, but it's, it, it isn't all that too. I mean, that grief is also something that is our way of being able to keep our people who are so important to us present and here and, and for lack of a better word, alive still. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I, I, I try to really stay as open to that spiritual connection as I can. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah, there's something um, like in my body and what I see so much uh, with the people I work with is that once we can like allow it to just be what it is, then we're able to really tap into the fluidity of it, right? Like sometimes it dances, sometimes it cries, sometimes it covers us, sometimes it flies away. Like there's so much movement in just the grief itself. Yeah. It's true. Um, I love the image of like a sidecar. I'm imagining, I don't know if you've seen the movie Garden State, but that like yeah. sidecar that he's trying. Yeah. Like, yeah. 
what shape or what color is the grease in the sidecar today? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, in a lot of ways, that's kind of what we're, what we're dealing with because it's, it's there. The question is, you know, is it more or less prominent today? Yes. Yeah. So do you have, we haven't really gotten much into suicide on this podcast yet. And I'd love mm. to know what you would say to someone who is experiencing grief from someone dying by suicide. And yeah, like anything that you have to share about sort of that specific part of your journey. Well, I mean, I definitely have a lot of thoughts about it now at this point in my life. Um, I had some, you know, I shared earlier that I have, I used to have some very different beliefs around it being a very, very selfish act, which I absolutely no longer believe at all. Yeah. You know, I, we, in addition to having my, my dad passed away from suicide about a little over a year ago, one of our closest and oldest friends, both my husband's and I, we all grew up together. Um, he very suddenly and unexpectedly took his life. Yeah. And so it's, you know, it's, it's, it's fresh all over again in a different way. And I feel like the most important thing I would probably tell anyone who was struggling through that kind of grief, because it's a very different kind of grief. It's, you know, yeah. when you're talking about someone who God forbid gets into a car accident and dies or God forbid gets cancer and dies, has a heart attack and dies. I mean, those, those kinds of things, those, those deaths in general are, you're not going to hold somebody accountable for that. You're not going to hold somebody responsible for that because you automatically just, we, we, we are, we know to believe that that's out of someone else's control. Mm -hmm. We, we don't awfully, you know, we don't often equate suicide and mental illness with that same scenario mm. because you're thinking okay that person you know either pulled the trigger or did the act or jumped or whatever like whatever it was you know we, we see it in a different way because that person was responsible for it but they weren't mm. responsible for it and I think that's what I would say to anyone who was struggling um they they needed your person for whatever reason needed to go where they went mm -hmm. they needed they 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 needed that pain to to stop and they mm -hmm. they couldn't find another way whether it's because they didn't want to be a burden to you or whether they couldn't handle being a burden to themselves anymore um mm -hmm. their death was beyond their control and it was beyond your control in the same way that it would be if, if your person, you know, died any other way. Mm. And, and, you know, so one of the things that I learned to put down a long time ago was any, any guilt. I mean, I was 10 years old and I didn't know my father had any mental illness at all, neither did my mom. So there, for me, for us, there really wasn't any of that kind of survivor's guilt, like why didn't I do more, say more, know more, wasn't aware of more. Yeah. You know, these people who are struggling are often the best at hiding their struggles. So it's really difficult sometimes to even know that there's a problem. And if you don't know that there's a problem, well, you can't do anything at that point. So, um, you know, I would, I would just encourage everyone to really try and let go of, you know, that, that feeling of what could I have done or mm -hmm. how could I have known or how could I have helped or, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's, and, and understand that it's an illness like any other illness that, that takes us in, in just a slightly different way. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's always really important to just highlight the fact that anyone who goes by suicide is 
doing it because not really because they want to die, but because they want to escape the pain. Exactly. And that the pain must be so deep and so vast to mm-hmm. want to do that to, or to feel like you have no other choice. Yeah. And mental illness is, is just an evil illness. I mean, it can disguise itself as anything. It can convince you of anything. And in so many cases, most people who are suffering on that level, they're powerless. Mm-hmm. Even if they have a team in their corner, even if they have the right, what we think are the right kinds of care and treatment, sometimes it is just beyond anyone's control. Mm-hmm. You know, and it takes you and and there's no, there's no way to fight back. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm thinking about, you know, my mom's cancer and it's like, we can, we can ask all day long why and, and why did it come back when she got metastatic breast cancer? Um, and, and why, and why her and why at that time, you know, we, I think we all do this, but it's just the fact that it, it happened, you know? Yeah. And, um, and I'm thinking about what you're saying about how your dad was this like, you know, Gregorious, outgoing, mm. charismatic person. Those are often the people, like you said, who are struggling the most. Mm-hmm. Um, like we never know what is happening inside of someone's body until, no. unless we do know. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's just so important. It's so important to check in with your people and to make sure that they know that they have a safe space and and they they have someone to hold those emotions and that space for them yeah because sometimes i mean it's it's been proven again and again that it it only takes one person so oftentimes it's just one person reaching out, one person asking, are you, are you good? One person looking in on you to change that tide, you know? Yeah. And we all, we all just have to, I think, do better, do even better. We're getting better, but we have to do, do better at taking care of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we can't restrict that to, oh, just my people, you know, just the people in my circle of influence or my Mm-hmm. my immediate family or my my squad my friend group it's got to go beyond that like we we really have to have a different kind of mentality we have to look after each other yeah um and i think once we all recognize that i think things will begin to change even quicker mm-hmm. because people will always understand that there's someone yeah. around yeah someone nearby there's someone to reach out to yes yeah i think that's one of the you know the illnesses of capitalism individualism right is that Mm -hmm. we don't we've been taught that like we only really need to worry about ourselves or people right around us when Mm -hmm. in reality we're all so connected and we we all do really need each other Mm mm-hmm like we're not meant it's, to grieve alone. We're not meant to live alone. We're not meant nope. to No, nope. I say that all the time. It's, it's, you know, it's humankind. It's, it's, you know, it doesn't matter where we are. It doesn't matter what we do. Yeah. It doesn't matter who we are. So, mm-hmm. we're, you know, hopefully we're getting there and inching our way in that direction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Humankind. Absolutely. Is there anything else that you would like to to share or name before we close? You know what I, I appreciate that you use the word name. I actually would love to just uh, just tell everyone my dad's name was Jim mm. because that's such an important and necessary thing to keep that name in our consciousness and to keep it in the world and, and, you know, kind of 
keep reinflating it mm. whenever we can. Um, uh, I would just, I would just say, do the things that you feel bring you closer to your person. I would say, grieve the way you feel that you need to grieve, not the way you may have been taught, not the way you may have read or seen or heard, but um, what feels right in your body and your in your mind and um, and know that there there is no right way, there is no wrong way, there is only your way. Mm. And and in doing that, we we get to keep them with us. We keep, you know, they stay tethered. And I think that's the most important thing. That's what that's what I'm learning. That's why I've been seeking out all the things and places that were so important to him or so important to to the two of us together. Um, that's that's what I would encourage everyone who who may be at any stage of grief right now to do because mm. that's that's how we keep that connection strong mm. mm -hmm. mm. yeah and I encourage anyone listening if you feel called to just out loud you know say your person's name or your people you know if you're grieving with people um, because it is such a an important practice to, to use our voice in service of our grief. Yeah. Where can people find you if they want to learn about your books or stay connected? They can always just stop by lisasugarman.com and give a shout and say, hey, um, my, my books are all over the place. So they're in Barnes and Noble and they're on Amazon and they're in all the fun little indie bookstores all over the planet. I hope um, they definitely are in this country anyway. So um, you can find me there. And of course I'm, you know, on, on all those fun little social platforms. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure you can find all those links on my, on my website and I'm on Twitter and Instagram and all those fun little things too. Yeah. Thank you so much for your story and your wisdom, Lisa. So good talking to you. Oh, it's so good talking to you. And just thank you for creating the space for me to do that. Thank you, dear listener, for going on this journey with me. Much gratitude to beautiful Chorus and Naomi Westwater for the beautiful opening and closing music. If you resonate with this podcast, you can show your appreciation by leaving a generous review and by sharing it with your communities. You can also join my Grief Village community on Patreon, where we have twice-monthly Move Your Grief Circles, a monthly Q&A, and an ever-growing collection of meditations, practices, and other resources. Details to join as well as more information about my work are in the show notes. Thank you for your support. Until next time, have a soulful day.